0: Good morning. Hi, everyone. A blessed morning to you guys. Um, The scripture today comes from the book of Mark 9, verses 30 to 37, and goes as follows. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house he asked them, What are you arguing about on the What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning again. Last week we had a guest speaker, um, and but this week we want to return back to our summer ser- sermon series on the questions of Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus has asked some brilliant questions of his disciples throughout the scripture, and, uh, and God himself throughout the Old Testament asked questions. I think of the book of Job and how God asked Job examining questions, rhetorical questions, uh, and then even we see in the Psalms that we are, in, you know, invited to ask ourselves questions, to search our hearts. So there's something about the questions of Jesus that brings out discipleship, that brings our hearts to the table before him, where we see our hearts, because he's already, he already knows where our hearts are, where we see our hearts and where we see how we are to put our faith and trust in him. Before we continue to dive in, uh, let's say a word of prayer. Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning um, for allowing us uh, the distinct privilege of reading your word, of opening your word, of, uh, of, of speaking publicly uh, the gospel of grace. Not many people get a chance to do this. Not many folks in certain places around the world get a chance to do this, Father, Uh, And so we don't take that for granted. uh, And even, God, at the name of Jesus, some people want to shut down conversations. So it is a, a privilege, God, and we are thankful that you give us a chance to speak about who you are and what you have done through your son publicly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yesterday, I was at a party. And uh, it was an awesome party. It was outside at a park. The wind was blowing nicely, you know, blowing all the bugs away and, and keeping us cool in, at that park in the area. And my daughter, my youngest daughter, was there having a blast. She saw a little dog, and she kept peeking at the dog. She was intrigued. Now, she's 20 months old at this point. Um, and she was intrigued. She, she went over to the dog and ran away. Uh, And then there are other things that that she did. It was just wonderful as a child, you know, coming to life uh, in terms of seeing the things in the world that God has made. Uh, And then she saw something interesting on a picnic table. And so she climbed up on the bench of the picnic table, and she was looking at whatever it was, you know, all the little things there. And then there was a gust of wind, and the wind blew so hard that the tablecloth, like those draped down in front of her kind of blew up on her arms a bit and so she had trouble sort of gaining her balance and she just thought she was grabbing the table and she missed the table and there she went and then I, I turned my head away for a second and turned my head back and there she goes down fast and then she hit her head. Um, Thankfully, she was in the flip motion, so she she was able not to have full impact, but nonetheless, there was impact on her head. She had a little bruise there, and I can't help but to think of what was going through her mind and heart as she was falling, falling fast, out of control, right? She's out of control and wondering, where am I going to land and free-falling? And, you know, the type of fall that it's like time just sort of stops for a second. And then I began to think about her emotions, like the fear that may have crept up for her, and then the impact. Maybe it was blackout for a moment, right, because it's like to sustain that. And then the body probably kicked in and started doing this work of, you know, bringing dopamines and, and, and adrenaline to bring aid to parts of her that were hurt. In her body and in her heart as well, we do we do endure a lot of brokenness in this world, and it leads us to be vulnerable, like all oh, get out. And sometimes we don't like vulnerability; it feels icky. Uh, it feels like we're foolish. Uh, it feels like we're not in control, and sometimes it brings fear when we sense that we are indeed weak, and so. When that happens to us, what do we want most of all? Well, we want to feel powerful then. We want to be someone who is strong. We want to be great when that happens to ensure that our greatness will be in in a place where we don't lose our footing, that we're always careful and that we're protected. We have a God who is a great one. He declares this from his word that he is indeed the one, the almighty God. And this almighty God did something astounding. This almighty God chased after a people throughout scripture, a people that decided to turn away from him and turn to other gods around them. This God continued to pursue them, and gave them his very words. These, like, These are my words to you. This is my grace to you to teach you how to live in this world. And he promised all kinds of lavish gifts to them. And they still decided, we want to be great in our own eyes. And then finally, he decided, I'm going to send my son. He sent his son in the world. And he began to tell his people in the region of Galilee, that this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And there were times when God actually uh, spoke that in the open, when Jesus was being baptized, and at the Mount of Transfiguration, he gave testimony and witness to his beloved son. And as Jesus walked with the disciples, as we see in this passage, in their hearts, they wanted to be great. They knew Jesus was a great one. Why? Because they saw him healing the sick, casting out demons, harming the storms. They saw him doing powerful, lasting things, raising the dead, turning people's circumstances around, speaking the words of God to them, their hearts burning within them. And they still wanted to be great. And so Jesus decides along the way, As he's with them, day in and day out, I must teach them the way, the true way of God. I must teach them the price of servant leadership. And that's what we have here. Because Jesus, in verse 30 says, he is receiving the disciples. Verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. He's receiving them because these were the men around the Sea of Galilee that were fishermen and there were tax collectors and people that God placed upon his heart to reach out to. These are the disciples that God sent to him, as we learn in the high priestly prayers. They are the ones that God gave to him. So Jesus received them. And even we see here In uh, Mark chapter 3 that these 12 disciples were indeed appointed he appointed them so that they may be with him and that he may send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons and he had these 12 apostles Simon whom he gave the name Peter James the son of Zebedee John the brother of James Sons of Thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, and Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There's nothing unique about them except that God had called them to himself. They were appointed by Jesus. And as they were there doing these acts of service with Jesus, he, gave, he ascribed power to them. To cast out demons to preach in his name and so no wonder they were thinking you know one of us we're probably going to be the greatest one of us going to be the greatest out of this bunch because God has given us some amazing things to do so Jesus had to receive these guys imperfect in all their ways but yet they were called by God and there he is instructing these disciples. Verse 30, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, will rise. So in Mark 8, 31, Jesus begins to teach his disciples, instructing them that the Son of Man must suffer. That he will die, but that he will be raised from the dead. And as he was teaching them the first time in, in Mark 8, it went like this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. He said it plainly to them. And Peter took him to the aside. And began to rebuke him. So they knew exactly what Jesus said. And they knew his intentions. Peter took him aside and rebuked him. But turning and seeing the disciples, Jesus looked at all of them. He rebuked Peter. And said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here we have it. Jesus is teaching them about His coming suffering. Too hard to bear because what they have in their hearts and mind is greatness. They want to be great because they must have felt the pangs of powerlessness in their region around them. Roman occupation. And indeed, uh, if we remember Peter's story of, of casting out the nets to fish, that there are some hard nights. There are times when he didn't bring bread into to the home because there are times when he didn't catch any fish. But Jesus here is making him and them fishers of men, teaching them, instructing them what must happen to him. And it's hard to take for them. But it's not hard for God because this is the divine will and plan of God that his son would suffer that they will be given into the hands of lawless men. Men ready to betray him, flog him, kill him. And God does this because it was his will to crush him. He is a suffering servant to die as a ransom for many. We see in Isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, about, prophecy about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And even in Mark 10, we have, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In a very familiar passage, we even have, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And that is great news that Jesus doesn't come to condemn, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And giving Jesus, God has given him his all. God delivers his own son over to the hands of lawless men to die for the sins of his people, and even this is the second passion prediction. The first was in John eight, and that's the third one that's in uh, Mark Mark ten. And the third one, Jesus makes the same sort of announcement. He's going to die. He's going to be delivered, condemned, mocked, flogged, killed. And will rise after the three days. And then at that time, the failure on the disciples' part at that time was that James and John, they asked each of them to sit, you know, on his right hand and on his left. Still in their hearts, they have this idea of greatness. But Jesus teaches them that to be great, they must become servants. The way up. As the old saints used to say, the way up in the kingdom is the way down. To be first, they must be slaves. And that he, may, that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see Jesus here teaching his disciples about his humiliation. This is why he has come into the world to suffer and to die. He is teaching them this, and they feel it within their hearts. And it says that, you know, they didn't understand the saying that Jesus had given them, and they were afraid to ask him about these things. So here's Jesus enduring with his disciples, their hard-heartedness, their hard-headedness. I mean, Peter knew plainly what Jesus spoke of the first time that Jesus said he was going to suffer and die. But here in this passage, they don't understand the saying. Maybe they don't want to accept that within their hearts. Truly, they are afraid of asking him about it for some reason, maybe out of embarrassment. You know, when you're in the classroom, some of you guys are teachers, you know, uh, some of your students, I should say. (laughs) You're in class and you, uh, you know, the professor or the teacher has covered something and it just goes right out the window of your mind, and then you're kind of skittish to raise your hand and to ask again um, because, you know, you may not get the response you were looking for. I don't know. Maybe that was the case here. The teacher has been teaching, and they haven't been paying attention. But this is indeed hard to take. The most powerful man that they know is going to suffer and die. But in case we missed it, Jesus also said that after three days, he will rise. That's his exaltation. He will beat sin. He will beat death. He will indeed save those that are lost. He will be delivered so that this can happen, that the sins of his people will be atoned for, that they will be covered both now and through all eternity. And so he's enduring with them as he teaches them. He's not coming down hard on them. He's encouraging them to have faith in who he is and what he has come to do. This is what Jesus is doing with their hearts. But as we said before, they may have it in their minds that, no, we want to be powerful. What about us? When Jesus teaches us, there are indeed some things that are so difficult to understand that Jesus teaches now, right? But he's patient with us. But there's something that gets in the way at times. Maybe it's our own idea of greatness that gets in the way. You know, what do you do when someone disagrees with you? Maybe that that tells you where your heart is. How do you take it when someone questions your plans? What comes up for you? Anger, insecurities, suspicion that you're not trusted? Maybe you're someone who is intimidated by the gifts of others. Are you beginning with a gift that Christ has given you as inadequate or less than? How do you treat people around you? Are they there to serve your interests instead of you actually seeking to serve them? What type of language do you use when speaking about other leaders? It's easy to become disrespectful in speech about others when you feel entitled or believe they are beneath you. Where do we go in our hearts when we feel the pangs of of our own insecurity and vulnerabilities. When we feel powerless, when we want to be great, when our plans don't pan out and when our career fails, where do we go as the one who has kept us, has promised that we should return to him? But where do we go away from him to try to ascribe to that greatness? God is calling us to return to him, to return to his way of servant leadership, to return to the security that he has bought for us in Christ, to return to the honesty of heart that we're more messed up than we think. And that's hard to grapple with at times because oftentimes we try to dress up the person whose reflection is in the mirror. But God says, I love you. I have died for you. I have accepted you. You are in me, secure on the firm foundation. So this passage points to a correct understanding for us and the disciples of Jesus' death. And so Mark is is pointing us to Jesus' death intentionally. Because Jesus had foreknowledge of his death, and all the circumstances surrounded it. He knew what he came to do. He knew that he was divinely ordained for this work. There was a divine, heavenly calling for him. It was necessary for this to play out. His own father would deliver him into human hands. This is how much that God cares for us. So, there is the type of leadership, the price of the servant leadership that Jesus shows us here. But there's also the expectation of servant leadership for those who have been bought by Jesus, by his blood. And we come back to this question of greatness that the disciples have in verse 33. They're in this argument, you know, they're, they're up north, maybe about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee in uh, Caesarea Philippi, and then they're coming down to Capernaum, which is, you know, one of the cities uh, on the sea, and did you know that Jesus actually moved from Nazareth at some point to Capernaum? That's where he was living, and so when they were in the house, he asked them, hey, What are you talking about along the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was going to be great, who was was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And So we see here that uh, the disciples are confronted by Jesus. He's not going to let them stay where they are in their argument, lest they dig deeper and deeper into pride and self centeredness instead of moving into self denial. They kept silent, but he's not going to keep silent. Maybe they were embarrassed about what they were talking about and knew that Jesus would confront them on it, but not in the way that they expected, right? Jesus is not going to move in the way of man, but he moves with the very intentions of God. And so here he is gently instructing and, and, and encouraging them, sitting them down, and usually when he sat down, he sat down to teach, and he said to them plainly, you want to be a leader? You want to be a leader? You want to be first in line? You want to be primary in this life? You must be last of all. You must be someone Who doesn't mind losing with God? Losing with God, serving people that don't deserve it. You have to be in a place with losing with God, serving people that may say some things that you don't like. You have to lose with God, being in a place where your greatness is not in yourself, But it's in the one that you behold, who is Jesus Christ himself. One scholar puts it this way. The disciples' misunderstanding of Jesus' first passion prediction involved an unwillingness to accept the divine necessity of Jesus' death. Here it it involves their misunderstanding of how Jesus' death revolutionizes the essence of leadership. Jesus' messiahship and sonship meant for him being a servant but the disciples thought that their unique role involved lordship and mastery over others. They did not see the implication of Jesus' death with respect to their own leadership roles. This involves not so much greatness in the kingdom of God or but greatness among themselves. And so they had to come to this place. Jesus had to bring them to the place of understanding true greatness It's not found in what they were dreaming up and what they were thinking. That the expectation for their servant leadership is to get down on their knees, scrubbing floors, doing for other people, uh, lifting the heavy burden of others, in the gap for others, and not... In the way of having others scurrying around and serving them, and it's so easy to want that, right? We all, some, you know, um, we all have gone to places that we like that feels like oh, I can just put a finger in the air and someone can bring me a nice, refreshing drink. Oh, I can get used to this. This is what we say, right? I can get used to this. The food is great. Everything. The service is great. Well. They're being paid for it. You may have paid them for it at some resort, or so, wherever you have gone, you know, around. You paid them for it. But you see, the Lord is saying that, hey, I've paid it all for you to go and do for others without money, without cost. Go and do something for others, not expecting to be repaid. You know, yesterday my neighbor came and knocked on the door and Say, hey, I, just, I need to go up the road here to Shepherd Street. I need to go. I was like, let's go. Come on. I had the time. And I was like, hey, let's go. Let's do this. Let's get out. It's a beautiful day. And I took them around to several places. I stopped off at a place of my own, taking up their time now. Uh, and finally, I got them to the place they wanted to go, which was literally uh, three blocks you know, from where we lived. They could have walked, but they didn't know that <laughs> that place was there. And so, it was awesome, though, because we had a chance to spend time together, to connect, catch up, and everything. It was great. And so, they get out of the car to go inside, and I see money there in the console. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. And now, I have to give it back, because I this is not this type of trip. You know, I didn't do this for this cash. Uh, I did this because, hey, just because. <laughs> want to spend time with a neighbor and wanted to help them out, and, And so when they came out, I said, hey, look, you can take this back. It's okay. This is, I did this just just because, you know, uh, I don't need this. Um, But they, you know, they pushed back and said, no, no, take it. You took me to several places, and uh, you have a big family. And uh, (laughs) i like, yeah, that is true. Now, you're starting to convince me a little bit. (laughs) So I was like, Okay. And then, you know, still small voice came up and just say just say thank you, you know, because they weren't going to take the money back. Let me tell you, I was trying, I was pushing, you know. But, you know, that wasn't expected. I didn't need that. But what I gained with them was much more opportunity to serve. I'm not always like that, by the way. (laughs) Maybe you're not always like that. But there are times when we see what God is talking about in terms of, Uh, Willingly serving Volunteering your time Your efforts Giving what you have The last of what you have sometimes Some of you are like that And it's a beautiful thing Like imagine the joy that comes to your heart When you do that When you serve in that way The question of greatness Lies with Jesus When we're in him We become great as we serve in him because he is indeed the person of greatness. Here's Jesus in this house. Bible doesn't say whose house it is, but they're in, indoors. And he sat down and he's teaching them. And now he brings, he, he takes this little child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arm, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So a, phys- a, a actual child, we know Jesus has taught in parables and given metaphors, but this is not one of them. This is a child in their midst. And Jesus embraces this child. And children during this day, you know, is is, is sort of like you know some yesteryear. Uh, is is better if you are seen and not heard type of thing. Uh, even worse, like kids weren't expected to have any rights. Um, almost not being persons in, in that society dur- in that society during that time. But here's Jesus teaching them again. Suffer not the little children to come to me. He embraces this little child. But he is teaching this, that even little children will come in my name. Whoever receives, serves, one such child in my name serves me. This is how we serve Jesus. Huh. By, re, by, by serving those that come in your name? Even a child, serving a child, a child should be serving, you know, doing what adults want them to do. But coming, we probably get that more today than they did then. You know, innocent, precious children. But Jesus is saying something more astounding. He says, in my name, those that are saved in me, these are the ones I want you to receive. Those that come in my name. Because the way the disciples are going, they may even reject those that uh come in Jesus' name if they want to be great and lord things all over those around them. That they will begin to lord it over even those that come in the name of Jesus instead of looking to serve. But so Jesus says, they receive me. So friends, in this church. As we serve one another, guess who we're serving? Now, Jesus doesn't need us hand and feet to come and do things for him. But this is the way that we do serve him because we're one body with Jesus and he is the head. When we receive one another, even our children that are baptized in his name, we're receiving Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we're also receiving our Father in Heaven who sends Jesus. So Jesus is turning this greatness upside down. He said, guys, in me, in me, this is what it looks like to truly be a servant and leader. This is what it looks like to come broken, desperate, but feel with the security and the strength of the Lord, moving out to serve in the way that the Lord serves. So let's receive unimportant people in Jesus' name. Let's welcome those that don't look like us, don't think like us. Maybe some of you have a grudge that you've had with somebody, maybe somebody in this church. I want to encourage you, go to that person reconcile that so that we can begin receiving each other in Jesus's name to the depths of who we are not in a shallow way but going the mile the extra mile it's like let let us not uh, allow anger to win the day let us not allow our egos and our idea of what it means to be great win the day because we have one who has already won the day for us and that's Jesus After Jade fell, her mom was right beside us, I was across from her. Krista scooped her right up, embraced her, and just went over in the, in the opening spot just to hold her close. And I went there and to embrace her as well because I wanted her to see my face, that I'm there too, and concerned with her. There's something about traumatic events, right? That when you have somebody there to bring comfort almost immediately, someone who comes, your aid, right after it happened, it's like how they respond with kindness and comfort uh, means a lot, means a great deal when you're suffering. And so I had that in my heart, and I'm like, I need to come and, and just wrap my arms around her, do the best that I could. I did the best that I could to be there for her in that way, after the fact. I don't know how God used that. I don't know if God ever uses that. I don't know. But that is how he comes towards us, though, isn't it? When we're bruised and, and hurt, he comes running to bring what we need. We may still hurt, but the fact that he's there with us, means a great deal that he's not turned away by our brokenness by our sin and by how we hurt but he's right there ready to comfort ready to hold you ready to take you to a place in your heart where you know without a shadow of a doubt that this is my savior who has come and gave his life as a ransom for me Now, even as I'm hurt and broken, he still gives me strength to serve in a world that will continue to be sad to live in. But there is joy as we do live in it because we have him who picks us up, who delights in us. And that's how we learn to rejoice and to have joy in our suffering. So let's move out and... Rejoice in that and live in that hope that comes through Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the life-giving blood that you shed on the cross. We thank you that you didn't stay in the grave, but you were resurrected into new life. We give you praise for that. Amen. Just take a moment to prepare your hearts and, and minds before we go to the Lord's table. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you have a kid in child care or not child care, Sunday school, <laughs> please pick them up during this time. Friends, as we do come to this table, uh, we come to one who loves us. And we come to this table each week. There's rarely a Sunday that we don't have communion, the Lord's Supper. And so, this is another way that we can participate with our Savior in a physical, tangible way through these elements. Because he really did die. our sins, his blood was shed for us, his body on the cross hung there for us so as we come to receive from this table today let us remember the encouragement let us remember the strength let us remember our all in all that comes through Jesus through this table Lord we thank you for being with us here today We ask that you would set apart these elements for your holy use in our lives. Only you can give us the strength to serve like you serve. So we pray, Father, that we receive grace at this table today and your mercy. we have a table here at the front and two at the back. I want to encourage you if you're about halfway on either side here in the front to come to this table, single file line. And if you are halfway towards the back on each side, there's a table back there for you. And for you upstairs, there's a table in the hallway. Uh, we want to come to the table, uh, with hearts ready to receive the gifts of life that Jesus give us. Uh, you will find at the table, uh, bread, uh, crackers for those with allergies, wine, and juice we even have some packaged goods here with both elements uh when you come you know please know at the at this you know our church here uh we go back to our seats and we partake of the